The interviews and discussions on this podcast are opinions only and not financial or investment advice. Listeners should obtain independent advice based on their own circumstances before making any financial decisions. Hello there, I'm Peter Strachan. Welcome to this edition of Stockhead's Rock Yarn. In late 2021, Alma Metals divested coal interests in Africa and changed its name to focus on copper exploration in Queensland and Western Australia. The company is earning a 70% interest in a large, low-grade Briggs Copper Molly Porphyry project on Queensland's central coast west of Gladstone, where it has established an exploration target of over 455 million tonnes, grading between 0.2% and 0.35% copper over three geochemically anomalous target zones. The company is also a first mover on permits along the Cambridge Gulf in the East Kimberley region of Western Australia. To update us on exploration work and operational plans for this year and beyond, we are delighted to welcome the company's Managing Director, Fraser Tabbitt. Fraser, thanks for joining us at Stockhead today. What attracted the company to this porphyry-style mineralisation west of Gladstone? Uh, yeah, thanks, Peter. Thanks for the opportunity. Look, um, yeah, as you said, Alma um, was created a couple of years ago. Uh, we, have, we had a, a strong view as a management team that copper uh, was one of the key commodities uh, for the next 10 or even 20 years. So, you know, we're very firm believers in the in the copper fanatic. You know, that's related to, uh, you know, electric vehicles. It's related to, you know, decarbon uh, or decarbonising the, the global economy. So we feel that copper is absolutely critical for that. And that led us to look for projects that could be developed uh, in a reasonable time frame and in what we consider to be safe jurisdictions. Uh, so, you know, safe from a um, yeah, both personal security perspective, uh, but also in terms of just the fiscal regime. So a regime that's unlikely to change significantly. Um, and that led us to look at some projects in, uh, in Australia in particular, um, and in Western Australia and in Queensland. And so, you know, we were uh, given the opportunity to look at the Briggs uh, porphyry deposit um, oh, a couple of years ago now. And so we had a look at that. Uh, we visited it in the field um, with uh, Canterbury Resources uh, geologists, um, and we liked what we saw, and, and particularly because it was quite clear that there was a large porphyry copper system there. Um, it was sticking out of the ground, uh, and whilst it's been known for a long time, um, because the grade has been historically considered low, it hasn't had a great deal of attention. Uh, and in our view was in a you know, a long-term copper thematic that low-grade outcropping deposits in safe jurisdictions were exactly what the market would be looking for in two, three, four, five, ten years' time. And that's essentially what we have here. We have a large outcropping system, uh, over two kilometres of strike length of outcropping mineralisation, uh, with very, very few drill holes into it prior to Canterbury's involvement in 2016. Um, and they did some drilling in 2019. And until we did drilling in 21 and 22 and now into 23, there were very few holes deeper than 120 metres. So we saw it as a huge opportunity. So Fraser, Canterbury is the far more of the project to you? That's right. So Canterbury acquired the project from Rio Tinto in uh, 2015. And uh, we've done a deal with Canterbury where we have a three-stage earning. As you said, we can earn up to 70% of that. 
Uh, we're in the first phase of that now to earn 30%. Uh, we'll reach that milestone uh, later this year, uh, and then we can, uh, by spending a further $3 million beyond that milestone, we can take our uh, equity position in the project to 51%. So, yeah, it's often said that uh, the world's going to need as much copper over the next 20 years as been mined over the last 6,000 years. So, you no doubt it's a good uh, place to be. Now, can you update the listener about the information revealed from the company's recent drilling on the Briggs project? And what do the better intercepts look like from that 3,000 metre program? Yeah, that's right. So we've we've just completed that program um, a few days ago, actually. So what we did there is we drilled some holes into the uh, the northern part of the system, uh, the the northern porphyry target, uh, and we also drilled some holes into the central brig system, which is where the the existing resource um, is situated. So the existing resource is 143 million tons at 0.29 percent copper. That's all uh, inferred mineral resource estimate. So the drilling that we did in the northern porphyry, now that's about 750 metres to the north of that resource. We drilled two holes there, um, and both holes were mineralised, basically from pretty much from surface to the to the end of the hole. So the first hole that we drilled, um, basically from eight metres down to the end of the hole, uh, we had 440 metres at 0.21% copper uh, and over 30 parts per million molybdenum. And that included some high-grade zones close to the surface, including 46 metres at 0.36% copper and 58 ppm molly, um, and then another 44 metres at 0.34% copper and 77 ppm molly from about 200 metres depth. The other hole in the northern porphyry uh, also cut uh, considerable thicknesses of mineralisation, so we reported there 223 metres at 0.2% copper and 36 parts per million molybdenum from 306 metres. Um, and that the deeper part of that hole included 63 metres at 0.28% copper, 37 ppm molly uh, from 466 metres. So we're still in the sections. How does the uh, copper molly sulphides occur in the target mineralisation? Yeah, so it's a typical porphyry style of mineralisation. So that means we have porphyritic intrusions, uh, in our case they're of granodiuretic composition, um, and the mineralisation occurs generally in sort of millimetre to centimetre scale quartz veins, both within the granodiorite, but also extending outside of the granodiorite and into this enclosing older volcanic host rocks. So we see effectively two styles of mineralisation. We see quartz veins uh, in the granodiorite, and then we see quartz veins in the enclosing mineralised sediments. We also do some disseminated mineralisation outside of those veins. So what percentage of the mineralisation occurs in veins and fractures and, you know, quartz veins, and what percentage would be in the matrix of the rock? And how, how do you think this would impact processing costs for, for the ore? Yeah, so the, the, certainly the, the copper mineralisation that we see in the veins is generally quite coarse-grained, um, and that you know, gives us great potential for relatively easy liberation of that copper. Um, and we can talk about some net results um, you know, a little bit later because they've been very impressive. I think we've probably seen around about 75% of the mineralisation is in the veins and then about 25% is in the matrix. It's a little bit harder to see the copper mineralisation in the matrix in the enclosing volcanic host rocks because they're, they're by nature quite dark. Uh, and so seeing the copper sulphides in that matrix is, is, is quite tricky in, in core 
once you cut the core for your assays, you can see it much better. So, you know, we, we certainly got some uh, some good photographs showing, you know, quite strong copper mineralization just as dissemination. Yeah. Uh, but even there, it's still quite coarse grain. Yeah. Has the, now, let's move on to the metallurgical studies on Briggs mineralization. And how, uh, how are they going and what does it show in terms of being able to get recovery and, uh, and good concentrate grades? Yeah, we've only done a very limited amount of work at a grind size, I think from memory of about 100 microns. So uh, very limited work to date, but, but the results have been very impressive. So we did three composite samples. Uh, to represent three different types of mineralization. So we did one of the uh, the quartz veined granodiorite that averaged about 0.2% copper as a head grade. Uh, we did one in the mineralized sediments surrounding it, the volcanic sediments, uh, that averaged about 0.4% copper in the head grade. Uh, and then there's another mineralization style we see there occasionally, which is higher grade, sort of half to 1.5% copper. And that's in quite wide zones that are dominated by quartz around the edges of the intrusion and in places at the top of the intrusion. Now, all three of those mineralization styles gave effectively the same MET results. So at relatively coarse grinds, we were seeing recoveries of between 92 and 95% copper um, into gray, you know, concentrate grades of sort of 18 to 20% copper. Now, that's completely unoptimized. So there's been no optimization work on grind size or suppressing of pyrite or anything like that. So for a first pass, extraordinarily encouraging. Yeah, it sounds a bit like Bougainville where I worked uh, and uh, I think about 80, 85% of the mineralisation or 82% of the mineralisation was in the fractures and veins and uh, they, we grounded up to about 160 microns. I think the 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 big problem was actually it was like gravel. You put it into the flotation cells and trying to get such big grains to float was the issue. But we you know the, the thing was just volume and you get your recoveries of 84, 85% but with a lot of volume of rock going through similar sort of lower grade materials as well. So are there any, are there any zones that you've seen so far with the limited drilling of consistently higher grade mineralizations at Briggs? There are, and, and as I said before, you know, some in some places we see these quartz-rich zones, um, and they, they've got quite a distinctive texture, um, sort of a, a very sort of a wavy band of texture, and that represents a, a sort of a, a unidirectional uh, solidification as the quartz veins grow, um, and that often runs, as I said, between half and one and a half percent copper. We haven't done enough density of drilling to sort of demonstrate continuity between those. Um, and that, that will obviously come as we do infill drilling. We've got to bear in mind at the moment, the uh, the average drill spacing uh, through Briggs is, is 160 metres or more. So we're, we're, we're drilling, you know, to basically increase the size of the inferred resource as a priority. Um, and then the infill will come and the infill will uh, certainly start chasing some of those higher grade areas. We've seen higher grade zones also uh, quite consistently um, in the surrounding volcanic sediments immediately adjacent to the intrusion. So that sort of broad contact zone between the, the volcanic sediments and the ranodiorite seems to be inherently slightly higher grade. Um, and in places we've seen higher grades near surface, it's sometimes simply because that's close to the contact where we where we uh, spotted the drill. Yeah, with this work, Fraser, that you've done so far, is there any indication of uh, other minerals like silver or gold along with the copper and molybdenum? There's, there's a, a small amount of silver. The, the, the system 
is slightly anomalous in gold, but at this stage we're not expecting that to have any uh, commercial considerations. Uh, so we see it very much as a copper molly system at this stage. Yes, you might get some credits in due course on the silver, but it'll be very minor. So overall, given the work you've done and it's fairly preliminary, what gives the company now confidence that Briggs could become an uh, economically viable you know, project with the, uh, the value of the mineralisation in the ground that you've got? The key has been that the drilling that we've done um, over the last six months has clearly shown the, uh, the potential to increase that relatively modest inferred resource yeah, uh, towards yeah, meeting the goals of that exploration target that we announced back in 2021. Um, yeah, yeah, we will, we, when we finish the uh, getting the assays back from this round of drilling, we will obviously be looking at you know, whether that will substantiate a resource upgrade. And uh, I think the initial indications are, yes, it will. That will put us on a trajectory to you know, many hundreds of millions of tonnes in that sort of 0.2 to 0.3% copper with you know, 30 to 60 ppm molybdenum. And you know, we can see many parallels here with uh, a deposit um, that Caravel Minerals is working on in Western Australia. And we have some common management between those companies, so no surprises there. Um, but you know, Caravel is you know, currently studying a very large copper molly system that has very similar grades to those, those at Briggs. Um, and the pre-feasibility study work that they've done has shown that sort of a 0.25% copper grade and 50 parts per million molybdenum. If you've got good metallurgy, if you've got you know, low mining costs through good script ratios, and if you've got good infrastructure, they can be very financially rewarding in the right sort of fiscal environment. And that's what we see. You know, we see Briggs very much on the trajectory to yeah, equal or even potentially better caravan. You know, we, we're in the fortunate position where we haven't done enough drilling yet to remove the possibility of you know, significantly higher grade zones because our drill spacing is so wide. So, Fraser, you'll um, no doubt be uh, looking at ore sorting technology as well as a way of upgrading before it goes into the, the uh, recovery stage. Yeah, I think yeah, everything will be looked at that will enhance the economics of this project. I mean, yeah, I think the market's struggling to, to understand that you know, 0.25, 0.3% copper is financially viable, but certainly the feasibility study work that Caravel published show that it's uh, it's very doable um, under the right circumstances. Yeah, if you've got seventy five percent of the seventy five percent of the sulphide sticking out of the ground in veins and uh, you know fractures, it's going to be pretty easy for a ore sorting machine to get in there. So look, we'll we'll. Um, We'll watch with the with great interest on the as the results come through, and you continue to do the metallurgy and it, it should, certainly splitting it up into a copper and a molly concentrate uh, is pretty plain vanilla. So, look, can we just jump across the nation to the East Kimberley? Uh, you've picked up some projects there along the Cambridge Gulf. Uh, what's the company's program for these projects through the current dry season? Yeah, so look, those, those projects represent a very different style of mineralisation. So we, we're chasing their, you know, sediment-hosted copper of a style very similar to what we see in, uh, you know, in the world-class uh, Central African copper belt, you know, Zambia uh, and the Congo. Um, what, we've, what we plan to do, though, we've got to bear in mind that this area is, is quite remote. Um, it hasn't had a great deal of exploration done on it for any commodities other than diamonds in the last 40 or 50 years. There's been no copper exploration of any description that we can see in any 
published open file information since 1971, which was sort of 50 kilometre spaced stream sediment surveys by CRA. Um, and they were following up on government observations that led to the, uh, the one to 250,000 scale geological mapping in that area, which showed copper occurring at very predictable stratigraphic horizons. That's why we think we've got this sort of uh, Central African style of mineralization potential there. We've got all the right rocks. We've got you know, basement rocks that are elevated in copper, and then we've got some very specific reduced sequences in o otherwise an overall oxidized package. So for us, the first thing to do is go and validate the concept. So we, we want to get out you know, during this wet season and, and do some preliminary reconnaissance, um, go and visit the areas where the known copper occurrences are, um, and also just look at the, the terrain um, and just then plan how we're going to um, approach reducing you know, what is almost 1,500 square kilometres that we've... So you'll be using the, the dry season to get up there and, and do some ground truthing. Do you have any traditional owner agreements in place at the moment or does that happen later? Yeah, so no, we've, we've worked with the, uh, with the Balangara people there who are the uh, traditional owners of the, the entire area. Um, so we've been working with uh, the Balangara Aboriginal Corporation. We've got agreements in place which sort of uh, give us the protocols by which we seek uh, effectively their permission to go and do some reconnaissance work. So that first reconnaissance program and also a major follow-up stream sediment program where we would look to collect somewhere between 800 and 1,000 samples. Um, and then we also are contemplating yeah, once we get the area down to a smaller area, uh, potentially then entering into a joint venture agreement with Balangara rather than the, the more traditional way of doing it where the mining company just comes in and does the work and makes some payments. We, we see this as a partnership opportunity. Fraser, what's the um, likely news flow through the June and September quarters for the company? Yes, obviously, first thing we'll have the assay results from the recently completed drilling at Briggs. That, we hope, will lead to a resource update, which should be in a couple of months' time. Uh, there may be uh, an increase in the exploration target associated with that as well. Um, about that time, we should have the first reconnaissance observations from the East Kimberley as well. Um, and then after that, we'll have more drilling results from Briggs because we tend to go back and do more drilling starting in late June, early July. Uh, and then later in the year, that may lead to a further resource update. Um, and then towards the end of the year, hopefully we'll have the, uh, the stream sediment survey results from the Kimberley, which will show, I'm hoping, some significant copper anomalies and ability to reduce the area that we can focus on. Does Alma hold any investments at the moment? It's we do, actually, yeah. So we've, we own about 15 million shares in, in Caravel Minerals, and that's a, a, a legacy um, investment that we've had for, for a number of years. So we can use that you know, in lieu of working capital at the appropriate time. Um, and we've also uh, got about 9 million shares in Canterbury Resources, and that was part of the uh, sort of a strategic investment we made in our JV partner when we did the original um, earning agreement for the BRICS project. Okay. Well, Fraser, you've got a busy time with those two projects, and uh, both mineralizations I know well because I spent two years in the Zambian Copper Belt as well, so I know about those types of uh, deposits in both areas, Bougainville and Zambia. Um, so thanks for coming in today. Uh, be interesting to see you in the second half of the year once we've got more drilling results and updated estimates on reserves and resources, or certainly resources, in uh, at Briggs. And we've got the ground truthing up in the uh, Cambridge Gulf areas. And so thanks for coming into Stockhead's Rock Yarn today. 
and we'll look forward to talking to you uh, in six or eight months' time. Yep, look forward to it. Thanks, Peter.